This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for July 6th, 2018. In this week's episode, we'll discuss some preventative maintenance you can perform to keep your Mac software running smoothly. Plus, Apple has relegated another generation of MacBooks to vintage status. Law enforcement may have an opportunity to break into an iPhone in rare circumstances without a warrant. And new Apple malware to watch out for called OS X Dummy. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Josh, how old is your MacBook Pro? Uh, let's see, I think this is a 2015 model. Oh, so it's not yet considered to be a vintage MacBook Pro, is it? No, not yet. I, I saw that Apple has just declared that the first-generation Retina MacBook Pro, so that's mid-2012, is now a vintage Mac. What exactly does vintage Mac mean? Well, basically it means that you can't get the same level of hardware support for it. Apple's not going to stock parts for it. And when the next major OS comes out, it's not going to support the new model. So I think for the mid-2012, since the Mac OS Mojave 10.14 betas currently do run on that model, um, I think we can expect that Apple is going to continue to support that model for Mojave. And then the next major Mac OS update a year from now is probably going to drop support for this mid-2012 Retina, first-gen Retina MacBook Pro. Right. I had one of those, actually, and I, and I really liked it. It wasn't that much heavier or thicker than the current MacBook Pro, but it had the MagSafe connector. I really wish Apple had kept the MagSafe connector. If you never had a Mac with this, the power connector connected magnetically to a port on the side of the device. And that way, if you pulled on your MacBook Pro or someone tripped over the cord, it wouldn't make the computer go flying across the room or across the Starbucks. I think this was really a brilliant innovation because, I mean, I, I don't know if about you, but I've certainly seen it happen to, to, to people where a cord gets tripped on and, oh my gosh, now my entire like $2,000 plus you know, MacBook is like lying on the ground. You know, hopefully the LCD is not bleeding, you know. I, I think they did it because of their obsession with having as few ports as possible in the device. Because currently with the USB-C, the same port works for power and data. Right. Whereas that was a power-only port. But really, it was a mistake. I think you can buy adapters that plug into the USB-C port and then have a magnetic system that you plug onto the charging cable. I've seen these. I'm not sure how well they work. They, they stick out maybe a half inch, but they still provide that sort of protection. And that's not a bad idea. In other news, we've spoken recently about Apple's USB restricted mode, which ensures that you can't access an iOS device after a certain amount of time. Apparently, there might be a workaround. That's right. There was an interesting article last week from DriveSavers. Uh, DriveSavers is a company that that will take your hard drives, your SSDs, your flash storage, whatever you might have that has data on it, and try to recover it for you. Um, there's lots of companies that do this. Right. They are the people you go to when you don't have a backup. 
and something happens to your hard drive. So make sure you back up your stuff. That's right, because they charge a lot of money, by the way. So they, they wrote this blog post and they had an engineer and also a legal expert. And they were kind of talking about the USB restricted mode that's that's now in the iOS 12 beta and will be coming to the, the public final version of iOS 12. So they, they talked about how because there's this one hour lockout window now where if you haven't unlocked your device within an hour, then plugging something into the, the lightning port is not going to behave the way that it did in previous versions where, so remember we've talked about this um, gray shift device that law enforcement uh, officers can, can buy from this company and so they can plug your iPhone into this device and essentially hack the device. They can break into it. And so this USB restricted mode is something that's going to, uh, in many cases, block that kind of uh, hacking into your device from being possible. Well, what's interesting is that this legal opinion because certain cases might qualify a situation as having exigent circumstances, meaning there's a, an urgent need to get into this device and we can't wait for a warrant. They're, they're saying that because now there's this one hour window that in certain cases it may qualify as an exigent circumstance where it didn't before to, to get a, a warrant rushed to be able to break into a device because how are they going to get how is anybody hardly going to get a warrant within an hour i mean that's nearly impossible to do except on tv except on tv yeah <laughs> where they just go and you know call up their buddy and say oh hey i, I... well no they know that the judge is playing squash <laughs> or he's eating dinner someplace right, exactly. and they go see him and Hey, buddy, how's it going? Can you sign this warrant for me? I got to break into this device real quick. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen in real <laughs> life. At least I don't I don't think it happens in real life. But uh, it's interesting. And, and they, they do say in this piece that they don't think that it's probably very likely that you could get away with this. In other words, law enforcement officers should probably not try this and say, oh, well, we thought it was exigent circumstances. And so we're OK, right? Uh, that's probably going to get them in trouble. But it, it is an interesting idea um, that there may kind of be a loophole there in some cases. So do you mean that they've just captured someone and within that first hour, they might have the legal right to go into their device without getting a warrant? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I would say probably in extreme circumstances. Like, let's say it was a, a terror. So episode 19 of the TV series 24, <laughs> um, about halfway through, they've caught the guy and his iPhone's there. And it's got that little thing ticking on it as the time ticks down someplace. Uh -huh. Yep. And, you know, they go to split screen and Jack Bauer's over here and the people at CTU are in a hurry and they have to get it. <laughs> and, and Jack Bauer's sweating and he's using his teeth to turn a screwdriver in a pipe under the subway system or something, and they only have a few minutes before the next commercial break. That's right. Yeah, that would be the circumstance <laughs> where somebody might need to urgently break into a device and may not really care about getting a warrant. Yeah, if, if, if there's a suspected terrorist circumstance or something like that, and they have really, really good probable cause to, to believe that this device has some data on it that's going to prevent some major attack or catastrophe, then yeah, they, they could uh, probably call exigent circumstances in that in that case. Okay, more Mac malware again. 
This is getting tiring, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, there's been a lot, really, the past couple of years. It, it seems like we uh, we almost don't even get a month off. Um, it, there's just kind of a almost constant stream of Mac malware. To be fair, there is so much malware on Windows that there are hundreds of these things every day. Very true. This is still a rare occurrence on the Mac. Yeah, com compared to Windows, that's absolutely true. And I would say probably even compared to Android, that's absolutely true. But we do get Mac malware, and um, that's why we need protection for for our computers. So this latest malware is called OS 10 dummy because it's really kind of bad, but it, 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 it does a good job at, I guess what, what it's trying to do. So essentially here, here's, here's the deal. So you've got uh, people who are visiting a forum hoping to get some information about their cryptocurrency and how to do this or that. And then somebody pretending to be a forum moderator or administrator posts this terminal command and says, oh yeah, just run this on your Mac. You'll be, you know, that'll give us some information. You just post the output and uh, we'll help you out. Well, what this terminal command actually does is install some malware on your Mac and it prompts you for your password in the command line. You've got to type in your password. So, I mean, you're doing all sorts of things wrong here if you're getting infected. You're copying and pasting some, some <laughs> command from a forum and you're putting in your, your administrator password and then your Mac gets, gets infected. And then what this malware does is it tries to phone home to the perpetrator and say, oh, yeah, here, um, you can connect to me and, you know, run all sorts of commands as root, you know, full administrative privileges over my Mac. So they can access anything. They can change settings. They can install anything. Absolutely. What's interesting to note, and if you do use terminal and do stuff on the command line, you need to be aware that when you download something via terminal, the macOS feature Gatekeeper does not work. It only works when you download something in the Finder. Yeah, so there's certain circumstances where Gatekeeper will block some malware that you've downloaded, but the command line via the terminal, that's not one of the ways that Gatekeeper is paying attention to things coming into your Mac. Well, we'll give the usual warning that you got to protect yourself, and Intego makes Virus Barrier, which will protect you. I'm sure that Virus Barrier has been updated to protect against this malware. But kids, if you're listening at home, don't put random commands into the terminal, especially if a command ever contains a URL. This command in question does contain a URL because it's accessing something on the internet. But if you see a command like that with a URL, don't do it. There are lots of terminal commands that you may see in articles, particularly about troubleshooting or, or for Mac maintenance, and they're generally safe. But do look at the commands first and see if there's a URL. And if you get a request for an admin password, Think very carefully. And just to confirm, Virus Barrier definitely does already block this malware. And Net Barrier, uh, which is uh, Intego's outbound firewall, also will detect this if, it, if it's already installed on your Mac and trying to phone home to the bad guy's server. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to make sure that your Mac's software is running smoothly. Intego is dedicated to better online safety practices, and the summertime offers a unique opportunity for parents and kids to become more cyber aware and to be better educated about potentially harmful online content and activities. As part of our commitment to protecting children and teens online, Intego is offering a 50% discount with the purchase of our award-winning Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego Mac Premium Bundle X9 is our most feature-rich suite of internet security and backup software for your Mac. 
It contains everything you need to keep your Mac protected, secure, private, and clean, and includes antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware, two-way firewall network protection, Mac Cleaner to optimize your Mac, personal backup software for quick and easy recovery in case of a crash, parental controls with website and application blocking. You can get Intego's award-winning Mac Premium Bundle X9 for 50% off the suggested retail price by using this promo code at checkout. Premium 50, all one word, no spaces. Premium 50. Have a really safe summer by protecting your computers and your family from internet dangers. Save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 with the promo code Premium 50 at checkout. Visit Intego.com today. In last week's episode, we told you how to check that your Mac's hardware is running smoothly. We gave you some ideas using Apple's own diagnostic software. And this week, we want to talk about how you can verify that your Mac's software is running smoothly. Now, this isn't all your software. This isn't every app, but we're going to go through some of the tools that you can use to check a number of things, to perform preventive maintenance on your Mac, and just to make sure that you won't have any problems going down the line. I'll link in the show notes to an article on the Mac Security Blog, which talks about this. How attentive are you, Josh, to preventive maintenance? Well, don't ask me about my car. I mean, I get my oil changes done and things like that, but uh, <laughs> I, I can't say I'm the best at that. But when it comes to my computers, yeah,、um, I, I think it's important to be aware of the kinds of things that can go wrong with your computer, both hardware and software, and、uh, you know, to run some commands from time to time and clean things out. I, I think it's a good idea to do that. I admit that I was more proactive. In the past than I am now, and a lot of things changed in macOS that make me a lot more confident. First of all, they introduced something called journaling for the file system. What this means is, if you have a crash, it's very unlikely that you're going to lose files because the file system is constantly aware of where files are and which bits on your disk belong to different files. So if you crash and restart your Mac. I can't remember the last time I've even lost work in progress. Yeah, that's true. A number of programs,、uh, including Apple's, some of Apple's own apps as well as、uh, Microsoft apps,、uh, will pay attention to where you are in your document. And of course, if you're using、uh, a cloud program like Google Drive, you know you'll also be able to to have that saved automatically. It'll come up right again as soon as you restart your computer. So another reason is that. Since Apple introduced Time Machine, this goes back a few years. What is this, ten point three or ten point four? I'm much more comfortable about my backups. And we talked in a previous episode about backup strategies. I'll link in the show notes. I use two redundant Time Machine drives. So what that means is every hour, Time Machine goes to one of the drives. So drive A at twelve o'clock, drive B at one o'clock, etc. And I also do periodic backups to another hard drive. So I've got three backups of my Mac. It's very rare that I need to go back into my backups to get my files. I I can't remember the last time I've had to restore my Mac, you know, restore the operating system. I I'm so much more confident than I was say ten years ago in in the general reliability of the Mac. And, and I'm not talking about hardware. I'm just talking about the operating system not crashing, not freezing, not having kernel panics, and the fact that when something does happen, you are so well protected. Either because of backups or because of file system journaling, right? Yeah, the, I, I would say that's my experience as well. I, I haven't really seen a lot of really nasty crashes in in a while. Yeah, and this is good because you know, remember the back in the day, 
this used to be relatively common in the early days of OS X, and I won't even go back prior to OS X when we had extension conflicts and you'd have to reorder the way extensions got loaded because one didn't work well if it came in before the other and stuff. That was really annoying. Oh, man, I remember that. That Wow, that takes me back. I remember using an app called Conflict Catcher back in the day, and what it would do is it would first have a database of known conflicts between extensions. Extensions were either Apple or third-party software that got loaded in the, the heart of the operating system. And it would tell you that this one causes a conflict if it launches before this one, but not after. And if you had a crash, it was really fun because you'd have to go through a process. You would deactivate half of your extensions, restart. Of course, restarting back then took five minutes. Then if everything was okay, you'd restart again, deactivate the other half of the extension. So basically, you would narrow it down by half each time to find the culprit. We're in a much better place today. One thing that can cause problems is fonts. And most people don't think about it. If I go back to the 90s again, I remember how few fonts there were on a Mac and how expensive it was to buy fonts. I'm just looking on my iMac now. There are, I don't know, a couple hundred different fonts. Lots of them come with the operating system. There are some that get installed with different things. I have a whole bunch of Adobe fonts. I'm guessing they got installed with maybe Acrobat or something. There are literally hundreds. And, you know, I find this annoying when I'm working on a document and trying to choose a good font that there's too many to choose from. Right. Yeah. Back in the day, <laughs> you had a pretty small list. And so, you know, it wasn't a lot to, to, to scroll through. Now it takes forever. And yeah, it can be very difficult to find the right font. There is a utility on the Mac called Fontbook. And what this does is it displays all your fonts. You can organize them in collections. Let's say you have a set of fonts you use when you're doing web design and you don't want them when you're doing page layout, assuming that you're a professional designer and you have thousands of fonts. But another thing it does is it can verify if fonts are working correctly. Now, you may not think that fonts could pose problems, but they can. So if you open Fontbook, which is in your applications slash utilities folder, and you click on all fonts, and then you select all the fonts, go to the file menu and choose validate fonts. And what this does is it checks every font and it's going to tell you if all the fonts pass, if they're safe to use, if there are problems, and then it'll say proceed with caution, or if there are serious problems and fonts are corrupted, they could actually cause your applications to crash. It's interesting um, because, like you say, that's not something that people typically think about. But, you know, if you've gotten if you've downloaded a font, you know, here or there from the Internet and you, maybe you were looking for a Simpsons font or something because maybe you were having a Simpsons themed party at some point and you installed that and maybe that font was developed by some, you know, rinky dink app on Windows or something and it doesn't validate properly and you could potentially run into to some crashes or other things if you're using uh, a, a font that doesn't validate. I just ran this on my Mac and I'm seeing that most of the fonts pass, but some of them have minor problems. It says minor problems were found. Proceed with caution. In some of these cases, it's just that I have duplicate fonts and this can be a problem. Maybe you had one that was installed with Mac OS. Maybe you installed a batch of fonts from Microsoft. Microsoft Office installs a lot of fonts. So this could be a problem. It's not a bad idea to deactivate the fonts in question. I'm not seeing any with actual errors, 
but I think most of what I'm seeing is duplicates. And one of the ways that you can get duplicate fonts is if you have some that are installed at the system level, sort of you know available to every user on your computer versus a font that's installed at just the user level. So sometimes you can actually get a font, might be the same exact font that's installed in both places. And so you could have a potential conflict there. The next thing that you should do, and I think we've talked about this many times, is you should make sure your software is up to date. Now, there are several ways to do this. In a recent episode, we talked about the Mac App Store and how it provides updates. And it provides updates for Mac OS. It provides updates for apps that you've bought through the Mac App Store. With Mac OS Mojave, however, it will not provide operating system updates. They'll be back in system preferences in a software update pane. But you also want to check all your other apps to make sure they're up to date. Now, in most cases, apps will automatically check for updates, but you may notice sometimes that when you download a new app and launch it, you'll get a dialog asking, should I automatically check for updates? Please always check this because otherwise you're not going to remember to check if the app is up to date. Now, I, I said earlier that it's rare that I lose any data or files or anything. One way to lose data is to not update an app, particularly that's had some sort of a bug or that's needed a compatibility update to be compatible with the latest version of Mac OS. If you have any apps that don't automatically update, I strongly recommend you finding in the preferences how to do so. Yeah, almost all Mac apps uh, that you get outside of the Mac App Store these days do have an auto-update functionality. So you do want to make sure to turn that on if it's not on already. So this isn't technically a software issue, even though it is. We're going to talk about defragmenting your hard drives. Remember that, Josh? You used to do that a lot, didn't you? Oh, yeah. On Windows machines, I don't think I've ever actually done it on a Mac. Oh, I have back in the day. But I don't know if I ever really needed to do it. So disk fragmentation is what happens when you've written a bunch of files to a hard drive and then you've deleted a lot of them. The hard drive doesn't move the data all to the beginning. What it does is it leaves a lot of empty spaces. And then when you put new files on it, they might be too big for the first available empty space. So they go into the next empty space and the next one. And then when you delete another file and write another one, and it gets to the point your files are all over the place. And especially for large files, if your computer needs to read a large file and the file is fragmented, the read heads are going to bounce back and forth around the drive to get all the data rather than reading sequentially. To further explain kind of why fragmentation was a problem with spinning disks, if you imagine you've got these round platters, right? They spin in a circle. And if you have a file that's in contiguous sectors on that disk in a nice clean row, and so you only have to have that platter spin one time to read that entire file. If that file is broken up into a whole bunch of places all over your disk, that same disk platter might have to spin a bunch of times just to read that same file. So that's why it takes so much longer to read files that are fragmented. And the reason why this is not a problem on SSDs anymore is because there is no spinning. There's no, you know, mechanical moving parts and such. With SSDs, they're designed so that a, a bit of data can be read you know, immediately, no matter where it is, and, and there's no waiting for that disk platter to spin around all the way. Right. So this can slow down your hard drive, and it also puts a little bit more strain on it. Now, we don't really think of this too often, and the only time you'd have really big files where it's an issue is, let's say, big video files, but of course, a lot of people have that. If you still use hard drives, like you've got a media collection like I do, it's not a bad idea to do this. Now, the article links to an app called iDefrag, and I used this years ago. 
IDFrag hasn't been updated in a while, and on the website they put a note that there are some issues with High Sierra. Particularly, it cannot handle APFS formatted drives, but as of yet, APFS hasn't been rolled out to hard drives, only to SSDs. Might be worth downloading this and just looking to see what happens. I, I remember I would do this and I'd come back and see the report and you'd see these alternating colors and you can see the screenshot in the article that I'll link to. And that would kind of freak me out a bit. It's like, well, that's not good. That's, you know, it's the OCD in me. I, I'm not sure how much I'd worry about it because drive technology has also gotten a lot better. So drives probably last longer, but it is something to think about because it can prevent losing data, having a drive crash. And if you don't have multiple backups like I do, if you only have one drive and a backup, it's best to be safe. However, I, I would actually caution that you may want to back up your drive before you defrag it, <laughs> just in case. Right, because here's what a defragmenter does. I'm going to think of a good metaphor. Let's say you're in a library and you've got a whole bunch of books on a shelf and someone takes out a bunch of books from the shelf at random. So you've got books and gaps and books and gaps, and then someone wants to defragment. It's like moving all the books together. Now, when you think about that, that means all the data on your drive is probably being moved. Some of it from the beginning to the end to join up with larger files. Some of it from the end to the beginning to fill up spaces. So essentially, when you defragment a drive, it is rewriting all your data someplace and maybe some of the data more than once. So yes, definitely back up your drive before you defragment it. Here's a good way to defragment your drive easily. Take a backup drive, format it, erase it, copy all your data from your other drive. It will copy sequentially. It won't be fragmented on the backup drive. And then you can take the initial drive and you can erase that, copy the data back. Just make sure that you're careful. But when you copy data to an empty drive, there is no fragmentation. Good advice. Of course, it's like when you clean the house and as soon as you finish cleaning, you notice another speck of dust. <laughs> Once you delete a file and copy another file, it starts getting fragmented. So there is a limit to this. Apple has a really useful tool talking about hard drives. It's called Disk Utility. Disk Utility can do all sorts of things. It can format drives. It can mount them and unmount them. It can erase them. It can restore them. You can use it to encrypt drives. You can partition a drive. It's really an extremely powerful tool. One of the most useful features for most people, however, is called First Aid Launch Disk Utility. It's in the Application slash Utilities folder. You'll see all your hard drives in the left-hand column, and this is the same for hard drives and SSDs. Select one and then click First Aid and let Disk Utility do its thing. It's going to check a lot of different things, and it probably won't tell you too much about what it's checking. It's going to check that the catalog information is correct, that this is the information that records which bit of data belongs to each file. It will make some repairs at times, if necessary. In some cases, it won't make any. It'll just give you a green check mark, like a big happy thumbs up. But it's kind of like inspecting your car. There, there are things that you do need to check. And this is a good way to do it with a built-in tool. In my experience lately, in, in recent versions of macOS, it's pretty rare that it finds a problem. But every once in a while, it, it'll find something. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm glad I scanned my drive and checked for you know file system errors. So it, it's definitely a good idea to run this once in a while, especially, say, if your computer just you know, crashed, maybe just restarted, it's probably a good idea to run this just to, to make sure that everything is working properly. Yeah, I used to do this regularly. And in fact, I used to use another tool called Disk Warrior by Alsoft. Great app, and I don't think it's been updated for APFS yet. So I could use it on my external hard drives, but not on my boot drive. Disk Warrior did a couple of things. Not only would it find and correct 
problems, but it would also optimize the directory. The same way we were talking about data being fragmented on a hard drive, your directory can get fragmented, which means that it's it takes a little bit longer. We're talking milliseconds longer, but it takes a little bit longer for the operating system to find where data is located when it's looking to read a file. So fixing that does make your Mac a little bit faster, a little bit safer, a little bit more reliable. Again, as I said earlier, I haven't had many problems with this since file system journaling. So I don't even think to run disk utility anymore, to be honest. It's probably a good idea to set a reminder in my calendar to do this once a month, just in case. So this sort of preventive maintenance we've been talking about is the kind of thing that you will do, let's say, once a month, once every few months. I would like to recommend another tool that I use, and it's installed on my Mac, and I'm going to link to an article on the Intego Mac Security blog called Five Must-Have Mac Utilities to Boost Your Productivity. It's called iStat Menus, and it displays a number of little icons in the menu bar. You can choose what you want to monitor, and it lets you monitor, for example, I'm monitoring my data throughput, input and output. I'm monitoring my RAM usage, how much RAM is used, how much is free, etc. I'm monitoring the four cores in my processor. I can also turn on the temperature sensors, which we talked about in a recent episode. So if I see that all four cores are working hard, since it's a little animation, it'll catch my eye in the menu bar, and I'll say, hey, what's going on? And if I click it, I can see which app or process is using the processor so much. So for example, right now, Skype is using 71.6% of the processor, and there's all sorts of other apps and processes going on, but you would probably want to ask yourself, why is a specific app using all of my processor, if you see that? I can recommend this utility as well. I've actually used kind of a, a variation of it. They they don't really update this anymore because Apple has kind of, you know, stopped updating the dashboard, but they they have an old school dashboard widget that, that I still like to use. So I just switch to a different space and I've got all my old dashboard widgets, my calculators, my weather widget, my calendar widget, dictionary and so forth. And they had an old version of iStat that showed up there as well. So I don't have quite as many features as a freshly updated copy of iStat menus, but, uh, but I, I use basically the same functionality. And I, I think it's great. I, I love being able to see the temperatures, various you know hardware components, my battery health, battery cycles, you know, and my computer uptime. Right, and that's that's really good information that you get on a laptop because there's no other way you can get that information in system preferences or anywhere else. It'll tell you how many charge cycles your batteries run, how much you can charge, etc., which gives you an idea of whether your battery's in good shape or not. I used to use that dashboard widget too originally, but when they came out with an app, I quickly adopted it because I liked being able to just glance in the menu bar and, and have the information. One thing that they added in the latest version, and this costs a few dollars a year as a subscription, is weather information. So I have a little weather icon in the menu bar. It says it's currently 27.2 degrees and there's a 0% chance of precipitation. And it's, let's see, it's going to be blazing hot for the next week is what it tells me. And so that's good to just have that at a quick glance. I, I really like the menu bar, by the way, because there are all sorts of things you can put in it to get data quickly. And, and I think it's very useful to have this sort of a tool that lets you spot if there's something going on that's untoward with your Mac. Okay, I think we've done enough about preventive maintenance. You can all set this up as your weekend project, maybe to check out some of these ideas. Josh, you should try out iStat menus instead of the dashboard version. I think you'll like it a lot better. Until then, stay secure. All right, stay secure. 
Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>